Praise God. Amen. Let's turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and I want to give you an opportunity once again to give. I know that some of you have already given, and if you've already given all that you feel God wants you to give, that's just great. We have only received one offering last night, and I think it was $8,500, and all of this goes towards our missions fund, and again, it takes hundreds of thousands of dollars to fund all of this. In 2 Corinthians chapter Nine. There are a lot of scriptures here about healing. I, I hesitate to skip any, but if I don't skip them, I'll wind up preaching on them. And so I really wanted to focus on 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And this verse says, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound unto every good work. Well, now that's a lot of positive statements about an abundance that you always, not sometimes, most of the times, but always, that means even during what some people are calling the worst recession since the Depression, which isn't true, but that's the way some people are referring to it. And even during this time, always having all sufficiency, not just partial, not just enough to get by, but all sufficiency may abound unto every good work. You know, I was visiting with uh, Pastor Steve uh, this afternoon, and we were talking about that this is just a wonderful time for the body of Christ because the world is operating in fear, and like that piece of property that we got up in Woodland Park, it could be valued anywhere from 10 to 15 or $20 million, and we were able to get it for $4 million, about 25 cents on the dollar compared to what it's worth and that's this is a great time for us to be taking advantage of things and the scripture says it always having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good work this is God's will for you he wants you to have this abundance and notice that in a sense this is like a definition of what is scriptural prosperity And I think that this is where a lot of people get put off with teaching on prosperity because they think, well, you're just saying that this so you can have a bigger house, a bigger car, so that you can have fancy jewelry and things like that. No, the reason that you need to prosper is so that you can abound unto every good work. That's the purpose of prosperity. It's not for yourself. But you know, it's an amazing thing that as you, one hand to receive and one hand to give, as the money flows through, there's always plenty for you. When you get to where you're a giver and you desire to bless other people, it's just like God won't let you outgive Him. If you start giving, God is going to give to you. God is going to bless you. And so you do prosper. God does want you to live in a nice house and to have nice things. It's not that any of those things are wrong, but that's not the focus. The purpose of prosperity, why I want to prosper, is so that I can abound unto every good work. You know, if we hadn't have been prospering when this property came up for sale, we couldn't have bought it. But we were able to buy it because we had been prospering. We are able to take advantage of things. We are able to do things that I used not to be able to do. And that's the reason for prosperity is so that we can abound unto every good work. And so here's the reason for bringing this scripture out. That brothers, God has prospered you. Not just so that you can have bigger, nicer things, but so that you can be a blessing. 
This is what God told Abram. He says, I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. You can't bless somebody else until you're a blessing. You know what they're doing at the Springs Rescue Mission? If they didn't have money flowing in, they couldn't help these men that are needing help. They couldn't put out these appliances. They couldn't do those kind of things. Before you can be a blessing, you've got to be blessed yourself. And some of you may not have connected this, but the reason God has blessed you is so that you can be a blessing. And yet most people, you know, if you were to win the lottery, you know what most people would do? They would go out and instantly get a bigger house, nicer car, fancier things. It wouldn't matter how much money comes your way. The first thing, the foremost thing for most people is to increase your net worth and to do all of these things. And that's not the purpose of prosperity. How big of a house do you have to live in to be able to be comfortable? How many beds can you sleep in at one time? How many bathrooms do you have to have to relieve yourself? And yet, you know, at most of us, it's just like we're on this treadmill, and it doesn't matter what you get, you're going to get something bigger, and it's just always you're trying more and more. I'm saying that the purpose of prosperity isn't so that you can just have more. God wants you to take care of yourself. I'm not saying that God doesn't want you to have nice things. But the purpose of prosperity, He makes all grace abound towards you so that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound unto every good work. And you know, this is a good work to sow into the lives of people that are going to go out and make a difference. We just had a group come back from Mexico and they'll never be the same. They'll never be the same. We are seeing people's lives changed. And you know, let me just make a statement here. This is not a criticism against anybody, but with all of the stuff that has happened in Haiti and they're showing these pictures and people are giving towards Haiti and they're giving millions and millions and millions of dollars it's appropriate that we help people. And I'm not critical of that. I don't uh, uh, mind that. I don't begrudge people giving to Haiti and stuff. But when I see all of this devastation, you know, the way that it's hit me is that people are moved when they see these physical things and they see people hurt physically. And yet they aren't moved by seeing people whose lives are in just as big a shambles. There are people who have been trapped in a prison their entire life. And when I see all of these pictures of this physical uh, this devastation and I see the way that people respond to it, in a sense it kind of bothers me that people aren't bothered by the spiritual condition of people and the destruction that's in their lives. And, uh, you know, we gave and helped Katrina in our truck down there and did all of those kind of things. But when I saw all of this on Haiti, you know, we've encouraged our employees to give. I'm not against that. But, you know, I, just, I decided I'm just going to start sending some extra money to our missionaries, amen, who are helping people that are in distress uh, situations. And so my point in saying that is that, you know what, we have an opportunity tonight to sow into the lives of these students to help send them around the world something that is going to change their life, something that is going to help them to reach other people. People are going to be born again. Awesome things are going to happen. And this is why God has made us prosperous. And there may be somebody sitting there right there and say, you don't know me, I'm not prosperous. You know, when I went to India the very first time, I got a revelation. Because I sat in the home of a man who was a multi-millionaire and just...
people just were amazed at his prosperity and yet his house wasn't as nice as my house. His plates were so dirty, it took faith for me to eat off of his plates. And this man was one of the wealthiest men in that city that I was in, 1980. And you know what? I just realized that many of you are talking about that you don't have much. You've got luxuries. You've got all of these things, flat screen TVs. You've got microwaves. You've got this. And it's just that the new smell has worn off. You know what? We are blessed. We are prosperous. And I'm just encouraging you to take this and recognize that God has given us this blessing, not so that we can just get more and more and more. How much does it take for us to be satisfied? We need to be satisfied with where we are and want to be a blessing so that God can bless other people through us. So we're giving you an opportunity to do that. And I guarantee you, every bit of this money that goes in goes towards sending these students around the world. And uh, it changes life. You are investing directly 100% into these students' lives, and it changes people's lives. So that's good. It's a good place to sow. You will reap an abundant harvest. If you would like an offering envelope, we've got our ushers here that will give you one. for This is primarily for cash giving. If you want a receipt, fill it out, and we'll give you a tax-deductible receipt. There's also a place on there that you can use for a... Um, credit card, and if you're making out a check, you can make it out to Andrew Womack Ministries or AWM, and the information on your check will be sufficient. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Father, we love you, and we thank you, Father, for your love for us. Father, thank you for blessing us. Thank you, Father, that we are just supernaturally blessed with everything so that we can be a blessing. And Father, we want to glorify you and sow into the lives of these students. See them, Father, not only experience change themselves, but be a channel for you to flow through and change other people's lives. And we believe that as we invest in these students' lives, that Father, we are sending forth laborers into the harvest and it's going to reap a great reward. And so we thank you and believe that it comes back to every person that gives, that you give back to them supernaturally. And we agree and receive that in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. You can receive the offering. You know, again, let me just say thanks to everybody that has helped out. We've got all of these students working. We've had a lot of ladies come and help us. And, um, boy, they're doing a great job. I was talking to one this morning that I think is going to be in here at 6 in the morning. I'm sure there's others that get here even before that. And, you know, it's just amazing to see how that people are just so quick to serve and to give. And, you know, it takes a lot of effort to get the food together, to clean up, to do everything, all of the decorations that they put on the table and just on and on. And there's a lot of things that help make this a great, great week. And we appreciate all of our students that are helping. Amen. You are a blessing. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Let's turn back over to John chapter 14, and I want to continue talking on this. You know, I have a, a tape set. I don't know if we've ever put it into CD on uh, the Christian Survival Kit. Is that on CD? Is it? Well, so I have a CD set on the Christian Survival Kit, which is what I teach, John 14, 15, and 16. 
And I named it that because this is Jesus talking to his disciples the very night before his crucifixion. It was going to be the worst crisis that they ever went through in their entire life. And it was going to be like the weight of everything just crushed in on them. And the Lord, this is his last instruction, basically telling them, all right, here's what you need to do to be able to survive. And not only survive, but to thrive so that you won't be troubled, so that you uh, won't be offended, so that you might have peace in me. And he's telling them all the things that you have to do in a crisis situation. And so if this worked for those disciples, or if it really didn't work because they didn't work it, but the Lord spoke it to them so that they wouldn't be offended and that they would have peace, and if the Lord gave this to them for their crisis situation, then I believe that this is for us. And as I studied this, it's just like that everything that Jesus taught is capsulated in here. It's like he, this is his last minute instruction to them before his crucifixion. And he went through and just began to remind them of all of these things that he had said. And so this is kind of like a compilation of so many things. And I found out that in a crisis situation, man, you can turn over here and begin to start doing what Jesus told his disciples to do and it'll work for you. And I've ministered this to a lot, a lot of people. So we've only covered one verse in two times so far. Tonight, I'm going to try and double or triple that. Amen? But uh, it starts off, he said, don't let your heart be troubled. It's up to you. You can do it. How do you do it? You believe in God, believe also in me. We just need to use faith. And most of us are so far removed from faith, the way that God created us to be, that we honestly don't even know what we're missing. We don't even realize we aren't in faith. We think that being uh, dull the way that most of us are is normal. And so I was using some scriptures today to show how that, man, you've got to be able to see with your heart. You've got to be able to perceive things. You've got to walk by faith. And once you see things by faith, it just keeps you from being troubled. Supernaturally ministers to you. And then in the second verse, after he had said this about don't let your heart be troubled, believe in God, then in verse 2 he says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And you know, when I first started reading this, I, I went on past these verses and I saw just all of the things in these three chapters and every single one of them were things that I had ministered to people in crisis situations when they came to me talking about how bad. And I just saw all of these things. But when I got to verses 2 and 3, I honestly struggled with this and thought, God, what's the purpose of talking about heaven? Why are you talking about in my father's house or many mansions? And I didn't connect it at first. I saw the rest of these real easily. And this one, I had to sit and think about it. And you know, as I prayed about it, here's what the Lord was speaking to me. That when you are in a crisis situation and you are trying not to let your heart be troubled and you're trying to operate in faith, sometimes things look so bleak, they look so bad, that honestly, in the natural, it doesn't look like there's any hope. It looks like that every time there's light at the end of a tunnel, it turns out to be another train. Amen. I mean, sometimes uh, life does get real hard. And it's just really hard to see that there's anything positive going to come out of it. And so what I believe the Lord was doing 
is saying that if you can't see any hope right here, then think about heaven. In my Father's house are many mansions. You know, if you were to do this, what it does, it's like uh, Pastor John Williamson was preaching this morning, and he talked about putting things into perspective, and 500 years from now, is this problem that you're facing going to be a problem? That's the same thing that this is talking about, that you just need to put things into perspective. And you will find out that a lot of the things that we obsess over and things that bother us are really insignificant. Matter of fact, I keep a journal. And I write down and talk about things. And, you know, I go back and I spent about uh, two weeks ago, I think it was, at the first, or anyway, somewhere around the first of the year, I just sat down and started reviewing some of the years and some of the things in my journal and reading it. And did you know some of the things that seemed to be a problem to me back five years or something ago, I didn't even remember that they existed. I read them in the journal and it's like, I don't remember that. That was no big deal. That's, it's not important. And we get things out of perspective. They get blown out of perspective. Whatever you focus your attention on begins to start being magnified. Your mind, in a sense, is like a pair of binoculars. And whatever your mind is focused on, it magnifies. Whatever you refuse to focus on, it's like turning the binoculars around. It shrinks it. If you don't think about it, then it doesn't become a big deal to you. But the problem is that we have gotten to where we obsess over things that are relatively insignificant. It's like the devil puts a toothpick in your path and you get to focusing on it and it becomes this huge club and he's just beating your brains out with a toothpick. Something that is relatively insignificant. Something that isn't important. And so you've got to put things into perspective. And I believe that that's what the Lord was speaking to these disciples. He was saying, guys, you're going to go through a bad time. But you know what? In my Father's house are many mansions. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And he was just helping them to put all of this into perspective. I was teaching on Job this week in um, the Bible college, and I was saying some things, and I had one of the students come up, boy, great observation. And he says, you know, everything that happened to Job, his cattle dying, his sheep dying, his children being killed, all of the things that happened to him says, it's things that's going to happen to all of us. You know what? Every one of us it's going to happen. Sometimes people think about how terrible all of this is, but you know, really, we live in a fallen world, and the truth is every one of us, unless Jesus comes back in our lifetime, is going to die. Every one of us, the people we love, are going to die. That house that you live in is going to decay and fall down. Somebody's going to look at it someday and think it's a piece of junk. And you know what? Everything that is here is really temporary. And we need to get a different attitude to where we uh, see ourselves as we're just passing through and that this isn't what life is all about. And when you get that way, you'll find out that when you quit magnifying and focusing on those things, they quit being so important in your life. In 2002, we had fires out by our house and they evacuated us for two weeks. And we just barely had time to go in and get some papers and some pictures that we wanted to keep. And we thought about loading up a U-Haul truck. That's what all of our neighbors were doing. And we just decided to pray over our place and, and uh, leave it. And anyway, our house lasted. The fires got within one 
mile of our house, 144,000 acre fire got within one mile of our house and stopped and you can't even see it from our house. It's over a hill, so it didn't even ruin our view. And God took care of us. But as we were leaving, uh, Jamie, she said, you know, I know that we've prayed and I believe that our house is going to be fine, that God's going to take care of us. But she says, you know, it's just stuff. And she says, if we lose it all, we had fun getting it and we'd have fun getting it again. She says, it's just stuff. And most of you haven't seen my house, but, you know, it's not a real fancy house, but boy, Jamie has every little nook and cranny personalized. There, you couldn't spit and not hit something hanging on the wall. I mean, it is decked out. She, it would take a whole truck to move her knickknacks and then another truck to move the house. I mean, this is her house. We've lived there for 21 years, and yet she's saying it's just stuff. It's not important. Man, what a great attitude. And I had to leave and go on a trip, and it would have been terrible if my wife would have been crying and wondering about, are we going to have our home? What if we lose our home? What a great thing to have your wife say, it's just stuff. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. We need to get to where we, we put things into the light of eternity and realize that the things that we are so worried about and is this going to happen and then is that going to happen, you could diminish those things and shrink them down to where they're a manageable size if we just put them into perspective of eternity. We're just passing through here. Unless Jesus comes during our lifetime, there's not a one of us that's going to live forever. We are going to die and we're going to go to heaven and we're going to spend much, much, much more time in eternity than we do here on this earth. We're just passing through and yet we get so obsessive about I've got to have this and I've got to have that. The scripture says if you have food and raiment, you ought to be content. And yet there's very few people that are content with food and raiment. We feel like we've got to have all of these other things. Again, you know, we need to put it into the light of eternity and just recognize it really not, not very much is important. Relationships are more important. I've, heard a, I've read a book about people on their deathbed, what they say, and did you know what on people's deathbed? I never have read a single account of somebody saying, I wished I could have made more money. I wished I'd have had a bigger house. I wished I would have spent more time away from the family at home. Did you know what? When people die, all of that stuff, it just all of a sudden gets put into the right perspective. And what people say is, I wished I would have spent more time with my family. I wished I would have had more relationships. I wished I would have loved people more. I would... It's all about people. It's about these things that are intangible. We get obsessed on physical, natural things. And Satan is able to traumatize us. And many of us, are, our heart is troubled over things that it shouldn't be troubled over. So part of how you deal and not let your heart be troubled is that you just get to where things aren't important to you. All of this other stuff is not important. And one of the ways you do that is by just thinking about eternity and putting things into eternity, the perspective of eternity. You know, I've told this testimony a lot, but I like it because it's just a great example, but... I go to Charlotte, North Carolina every year. I've been doing it for 22 years. And I've got a partner that has a business with about 30 employees. And he invites me in and tells the people the clock is running. Listen to this guy talk as long as he wants to talk. And I just preach to his uh, staff. 
And so I don't know how many years ago, 10 years ago or something like that, I went in and I spoke and it was powerful. And after I speak, he gives me the break room and he lets his employees come back and talk to me if any of them have any needs. And I got to lead like 10 of his employees to the Lord and it was powerful. And this one lady came back. She had tried to kill herself the day before. She had slit her wrist and they'd put her in the hospital, and this was her first day back at work. And after all these other people got born again and things, she walked in and she was crying, and she says, I've been married uh, three times, I think it was either three or four times before she had been divorced, and her husband had just told her that he was going to divorce her. I went over to her house after this and saw her house, and I mean she lived in a thing that you could see through the walls. You could have thrown a ball through the walls, the cracks that were in this house. It was just a shack. And she had financial problems. Her marriage was falling apart. And this is the reason that she had tried to kill herself. And she was crying. And she says, Would you please pray for me that this marriage would make it? Says, If he divorces me, it would be like my fourth divorce. And she says, That's the reason I tried to kill myself. I just can't live. It without this marriage. And she said, would you please pray for me? And she'd started the whole thing by saying, I'm not a Christian like you and Chip, the owner of this business, but I know that prayer works. And then she told me her story, and would you please pray for me? And I just looked at this lady and I said, now let me make sure I've understood you right. You aren't a Christian. And she said, that's right. And I said, if you were to die right this moment, you'd go straight to hell. And she said, that's correct. And I said, and you want me to pray for your marriage, but not to pray for your salvation? And she said, yes. And I said, lady, don't you realize that after you've burned in hell for a thousand years, you won't give a rip about whether this marriage worked or not? Who cares about your marriage? I said, you need to get saved. And it's just like I slapped her. She just instantly stopped crying, and she says, you know, I think you're right. I need to be saved. And so I prayed with her, and she got born again, and then we prayed for her marriage. But here's my point. See, she was just thinking that this marriage was such a huge deal that how could she go on? It was, it was just bigger than anything else. She wasn't even worth living if she didn't have this marriage, and yet she was misrepresenting things. I believe that God's concerned about our marriage, but your marriage is not near as important as your personal relationship with God, your eternal destiny. But see, sometimes we get focused on it that if my marriage doesn't work out, I just don't know how I can go on. Did you know that Moses, when he went down to Egypt, he had a fight with his wife on the way to Egypt and she got mad and took the children and headed back to her dad's house. And Moses went down to Egypt with his wife having separated from him and went down and did these ten mighty plagues and delivered the Jews from the mightiest nation on the face of the earth and parted the Red Sea and walked through on dry ground with strife in his marriage. Now, am I encouraging that? No, it's not what I'm saying. It is important. But you know what? It is not all that there is to it. There is life after marriage. See, this woman was saying, I just can't live if I'm going through a divorce. But you know, you could look at it this way. You ought to be saying, thank you, Jesus, that in heaven they don't marry nor are given in marriage. Amen. It's only temporary. Amen. You could praise God for that. 
I'm not saying that God doesn't care about your marriage and care about your finances, but I'm saying that when things get really bad, you know, if nothing else, you can sit down and think, thank you, Father, that I am going to live for eternity in you and there's going to be no marital problems. I'll have no financial problems. Even if you never got healed in this life, there are some of you that have made healing such a focus. You are so focused on it that it's just this huge mountain that you can't climb over or go around because you are so focused. You aren't going to praise God. Your life can't go on until you get this problem fixed. You need to get to a place where you realize that if I never see healing in this life, in heaven, there's going to be no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more pain. I'm not going to be sick. If you never saw healing manifest here, you are going to live for eternity in a body that is healthy and whole. If you never see your prosperity work in this life, you are going to live in a mansion. Jesus only took seven days creating the universe. He's been working for 2,000 years on your mansion. Imagine what that's going to be like. If you never saw prosperity work in this life, think about eternity. And you know what? It'll just shrink your problems down. And that doesn't mean that you have to live in poverty. But what it'll be is when you quit being bothered by it and quit letting your heart be troubled and you're no longer obsessing, now your little mustard seed amount of faith is free to work and you'll wind up beginning to prosper and you'll see prosperity beginning to work. But I'm telling you, as long as your heart is troubled and as long as you're obsessing, you aren't in faith. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. If you're believing, your heart won't be troubled. How do you keep it from being troubled? One of the things is just to put it into perspective and realize that, you know what, a million years from tonight, this problem that is such a big deal to me is, is not going to even exist. You won't even remember it. It's not that big of a deal. And so just go to focusing on heaven. Think about what God has done. Think about the promises. Think about, Father, if I never get it figured out in this life, if it never works in this life, man, I am going to have so much joy and peace. And you start thinking about heaven. And you start thinking about all the provision that God has made. And you know what it'll do? It'll shrink those things down to where, who cares? No big deal. I mean, we go to church and sing, when we all get to heaven, what a day that'll be. And then the doctor tells you you're going and you start crying. Something's wrong with this picture. We're just mouthing lip service. We don't really mean it. But you can actually get to a place to where you start thinking about heaven, to where, you know what, if the doctor was to tell you you're going to die, it'd be all you could do to keep from reaching up and kissing him. That's what Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So he'd go into a, thing, a town and they'd say, we're going to kill you if you preach this gospel. And he says, great. And he just goes to preaching the gospel. And so they say, that's not going to work. And so they say, well, we're going to put you in prison. He says, awesome. I'll go to praising God and worshiping at midnight. And, they, and then all of the prisoners get born again. And they so say, we're going to let you go. And he says, great. Amen. How are you going to trap a guy that's just content regardless of what's going on? Doesn't matter if things are going good or bad because his relationship with God is so awesome, it sustains him. Brothers, we need, to, we need to focus on God. We need to look beyond the physical things. Have you ever used one of those 35 millimeter cameras that you know you can focus it and you could go to the zoo and be looking through a fence and if you're focused on the fence, 
then that's all that you can see. But you can change that focus and all of a sudden see the zebra inside and it's like the fence just disappears. It's still there, but the focus isn't on it and it's like it literally is gone. Did you know that that's the way that your mind is? You can be focused on God so much that you don't even notice all of the problems that everybody else is bothered with. You don't even feel the same stuff that everybody else feels because you're just focused on God. You're thinking about eternity. You're recognizing that God tonight, I am planting seeds. Did you know according to the Word of God, Luke chapter 16, that someday I am going to have people meet me in heaven to thank me for touching their life. That's what it talks about in Luke 16 verse 9 and 10. And tonight, I'm, I'm sowing into people's lives. And you know, someday in heaven, a million years from now, some of you will be coming by my mansion and saying, you may not remember, but back at that man's advance, you said this and you said this. You know, I was eating uh, lunch. When was that? Today, I think, before we went bowling. And I was talking to one of my employees out there. And she was... Uh, I forget all the details, but she was at a store someplace just down the street here and got to talking to the person that was waiting on her. And um, he says, so where do you work? And she says, oh, I work down at Andrew Womack Ministries. And he says, I heard him 30 or 40 years ago, and I got a tape entitled, um, it was about dating and marriage about the testimony about how God put Jamie and me together supernaturally. And he said, I had a niece that was living a wild life and not serving God and doing everything wrong. And I gave her that tape on dating and marriage. And she heard that 30-something years ago and totally turned from all of the sin, got born again, has dedicated her life to the Lord and is a missionary someplace in the world and changing people's lives. And he says, that tape 30-something years ago did that. Isn't that awesome? And what I'm saying is, see, things like that are what's important. Changing a person's life so that their life is changed is what's important. But when, you know, this life is over, it won't even matter what kind of car you drove. It won't matter what kind of house you lived in. It, you aren't going to care whether you had three or four flat screen TVs. Nobody's going to remember. We're obsessing about things that are unimportant. And so one of the ways that you keep from letting your heart be troubled is that you just don't set your heart on anything except the eternal values of God. The only thing that will ever let you down is something that you lean on. So just lean on Jesus. Make sure that you aren't leaning on anything. That you aren't codependent upon anyone or anything but Jesus. And you'll never be let down. That's one of the ways that you keep your heart from being troubled. Man, that is so super simple. But it seems like people really have a hard time doing that. So I believe that that's why Jesus put this in here, is just to say, guys, you know, if things look bad, just remember that I'm going and preparing a place for you. I'll come back. This is temporary. It'll pass. You know, that's my favorite passage of Scripture where it says it came to pass. That's why it came, so that it could pass. Amen. <laughs> It's not going to be permanent. It won't stay around. 
And after Jesus said all of these things about going to heaven and coming back, He said in verse 4, And whither I go you know and the way you know. He had talked about heaven. He had talked about something that was better than what they would be experiencing right here. And He says, And you know where I'm going and you know how to get there. And look at this. Thomas says, Lord, we know not where thou goest and how can we know the way? Jesus had just said, you know where I'm going and you know how to get there. And they said, we don't know where you're going. We don't know how to get there. And we look at this and think, that's just flat out contradicting what Jesus said. It's just saying you're wrong. And we think, how could he do that? Well, let me ask you this. The Bible says that by his stripes you were healed. And you say, well, I'm not healed. He just said you were healed. Well, I'm not healed. I got a doctor's report to prove it. You know, it's the same thing. They, they didn't understood, understand that they knew where Jesus was going, but they, they did know. They just didn't know that Jesus was the answer to everything. He had told them this, but they didn't realize who it was that they were dealing with. And so Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. They knew Jesus, but they didn't know that Jesus was the way. You know what? We have heard truths from God, but we just really don't believe and understand completely what God has given us. We've got a hardened heart. I remember T.L. Osborne talking about a little woman who rode a bus for two days to come to one of his meetings, and she was paralyzed from the waist down, and then she took a... Uh, taxi or something to the edge of the football field and then she drug herself by her hands across the ground and was way out on the edge and sitting underneath the tree and she heard one scripture that by his stripes we were healed. 1 Peter 2.24 First time she had ever heard it. She had never heard this. And just hearing it one time immediately she had faith and she started dragging herself up by her arms to stand up. Had never heard the preaching before. And she started forcing herself, convinced that she was if she was healed, then she is healed. And she forced herself, and when she finally got up, she put some weight on her legs and she was healed. And it interrupted his service. People were shouting and screaming, and he had to have her come up there. And she got healed hearing one scripture. Some of us in here know a dozen scriptures on healing. And you aren't healed yet. Because not because it takes lots of scripture to get you healed, but it just it's our heart is so hardened. It's like that seed can't penetrate the ground because our values are so out of whack. We're occupied and worried and troubled about all of these things and we aren't seeking God the way that we should. The truth is we know you know enough of the word that everyone in here ought to be just absolutely setting the world on fire. You know, I was talking to Joseph Fasquez about one of the guys in his um, recovery program that I've known for 20 or 30 years. And this guy knows enough of the Word to get every person in here set free. He can quote the Scriptures. He just doesn't live any of it. He hasn't been applying it to his life. With most of us, it's not the fact that we don't know the Word, but we just haven't really put the value on it. We haven't used it the way that we should. And so this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, you know the way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And then he says, 
If you had known me, in other words, they knew him outwardly, like what I was talking about this morning, but they didn't have the real spiritual revelation of who he really was. They didn't have a full understanding of who he was. He said, if you had known me, you should have known my father also, and from henceforth you know him and have seen him. And then this time it was Philip. He said, Lord, show us the Father and it'll satisfy us. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, you've seen him. And they said, no, show us the Father. Contradicted him again. Because they didn't understand that seeing Jesus was seeing the Father. Not seeing his physical image because God himself is a spirit. John 4, 24, he's a spirit. But if you saw the way that Jesus operated in compassion, the way that he moved in the miraculous power of God and set people free, how that he knew people's names, Zacchaeus, called him by name to come down out of the tree. And if you saw how Jesus operated, you saw the Father. He was a perfect representation of his Father, and yet they had missed it. They were seeing with their eyes, but they weren't seeing with their heart. They didn't really know him. Brothers, I'm telling you that every one of us I'm assuming here, we've already given an invitation and we've seen a few people born again and I'm assuming that those of you that are here tonight are people that are born again. And if you're born again, God lives on the inside of you. You've got the same power that created the universe living on the inside of you. You have the Holy Spirit that wrote the Bible and He can interpret the Bible and explain everything to you and give you all understanding and We've got everything that we need. We just don't know what we've got. We haven't fully appreciated it. We've been distracted and diverted. Our attention is off on these other things to where we're obsessing over things that aren't important. I tell you, you need to make your life count. And when you come to the end of your life, it doesn't matter how big your house is, how big your car is, all of these kind of things. You know what's going to count is your personal relationship with God and the way that that relationship has touched other relationships and whether or not you've made your life count to help other people. And I'm saying this in love, but there's some of you here that you know what? In the world standards, you're a good person. You've provided for your family. You haven't raped. You hadn't killed. You're okay. But you know what? You're going to reach the end of your life and realize that, man, what did I do? And you, you've done the natural things. But we need to understand, like Jesus is saying, who He really was. They didn't know who He was. They said, oh, show us the Father. And yet here was Jesus standing in their midst and they weren't satisfied with Him. They thought if I could have something more, I'd be satisfied. The truth is they already had everything that they needed. And you know, I could make a million applications of this, but one of them is this book right here. This book says that it is life unto all who find it. God sent His Word and healed them and delivered them of all of their destruction. Psalms 107, 20. Proverbs chapter 4, around verse 20 or 22, it says it's health unto all of your flesh and life to those that find it. It says, how do you make the, the simple to understand and give them wisdom? It's through opening up the Word of God. Psalms 119, I believe it's around verse 99, says, I have more understanding than all of my teachers because your word is my meditation day and night. And on and on and on I could go quoting scriptures. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, God's word is alive, quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. This word is like a... 
in the spiritual realm like a, an atomic bomb. It's the power of God unto everything. You are born again by this incorruptible seed. This is the seed that makes the kingdom work. This is everything, and we've got it, and we are sitting there feeling like, oh God, we need you to do something else. Oh God, come touch my life. Oh God, I'm not satisfied with your word, but if I could see a vision of the Father, then I'd be satisfied. That's just as bad as the disciples saying, Jesus, we aren't satisfied with you, but if you could show us, open up the heavens and let us see the Father, then we'd be satisfied. We've got the greatest gift that God has ever given us. I guarantee you this would put you over. It'll make you wise. It'll give you wisdom. It'll give you health. It'll give you prosperity. It'll give you joy, peace. It'll tell you how to get along with people. It'll tell you how to make your marriage work. It'll tell you how to make your business work. It'll give you understanding in every area. And we've got it and haven't appreciated it, haven't magnified it. We magnify our problems just by default because we spend so much more time listening to television and the bad news and watching X-rated and R-rated movies and comedies and we do watching the Word of God, listening to the Word of God. And because of it, the Word of God isn't as big to us as our problems. That's tight, but it's right. And we just haven't magnified it. These things that Jesus is saying to His disciples still apply to us tonight. We need this exact same stuff. He's telling His disciples, I'm everything that you need. Trust me. And they're just saying, oh, well, you aren't enough, but if we could see the Father, we'd be satisfied. God, you were wrong. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? You know, we just need to put our hand over our mouth and instead of voicing all of our unbelief and stuff, and we just need to believe what God's Word says, that if you hide God's Word in your heart, you will not sin against God. Psalms 119. You will not. If you're sinning, you do not have God's Word hidden in your heart. God's Word will talk to you. God's Word will speak to you. God's Word will change you. You know, when I first got started, I had this miraculous encounter with the Lord to where I was just caught up in the presence of God. And I intuitively, instinctively knew God was almighty and awesome and that He meant for us to live a supernatural life. I was going to a Baptist church that taught that miracles passed away and that it didn't happen today. There was nobody. I had, as far as I knew, nobody had seen a miracle in 2,000 years. I was told that they passed away with the apostles. and But yet, I, when I got into the presence of God, I just knew that He was the same and that we were supposed to see miracles. And so I had this vision of where we were supposed to be, and yet I was a million miles from it. And I remember kneeling around my bed and praying and crying and just saying, God, it's so far from where I am to where I see like Peter walking along in his shadow touching people and they were healed. I said, how do I get from here to there? And I remember kneeling around my bed and I just opened my eyes and looked and I had my Bible on my bed and the Lord just spoke to me and He says, just put that in your heart and it'll do everything that you need. It'll teach you everything you need to know. It'll open up every door. It'll give you direction. Everything you need is in there. And you know, that's basically what I've done for the last 40 years 
is just meditating the Word as much as I can, day and night. And I'm telling you what, I am not the sharpest knife in the drawer, and yet the Word has supernaturally changed my life. I'm doing things that I couldn't have dreamed of. I'm seeing God perform miracles and change people's lives. And it's just because of the Word. Brothers, I'm telling you that sometimes we feel like these disciples that, oh, Jesus, it's not enough. Do something else for me. And he's saying, aren't I sufficient? Isn't the Word sufficient? God has given you everything you need. It's not that God hasn't equipped us. It's that we haven't taken advantage of it. Most of us don't know who we are because we don't know what the Word says. We don't know who we are in Christ. And so we agree with the devil that, oh, I'm nothing and I'm nobody and I can do nothing. And this problem is bigger than me and I can't overcome it. And I guarantee you in the world you're going to have a million people come along and reinforce that and say, oh, yes, you are just a a failure and that there's no way that you can succeed and quit dreaming. Don't get your hopes up. And the world is terrible at telling people, don't get your hopes up. Man, hope is what you need to get up. Faith only makes a reality out of what you've hoped for. You've got to start hoping. You need to hope. I'm trying to build your hope up and let you know that there's something more than what most of us are walking in. God wants you to be living supernaturally. Amen. And God has given you everything. Jesus was sent to this earth and God didn't need to do anything more. Jesus was perfect. Now Jesus is gone and He gave us the Holy Spirit and He gave us the Word and we've got everything that we need to succeed. If your heart is troubled and if you don't have a vision, it's not because God left you out and that there isn't a purpose for your life and you're an anomaly or God doesn't care about you. God has a perfect plan for every single person's life, but you've got to start realizing what you've got. You've got to realize that you're important to God, that God has a plan for your life, and you can't mess it up so much that He can't fix it. God can plot a course from where you are back to where you need to be, but you just got to commit yourself to Him. So Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and it will satisfy us. And Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father, and how sayest thou, show us the Father? Again, there's a lot of applications, but I could say this. If you have the Word of God, then you have the power of God. You just don't know what you've got. You haven't milked it. You haven't used it. Man, this will release. You know, in the book of Revelation, it talks about Jesus coming back and riding on a white horse, and there's going to be a sharp two-edged sword come out of his mouth, and it's going to destroy his enemies. And it said that the blood would flow up to the horse's bridles. That means that it would be up to three and four feet deep for 120 miles as he destroys all of the people who come against him at his second coming. And they are going to have to appoint people and it's going to take, I forget the exact details, wasn't it seven months or seven years? Seven years to gather up all of the bones and burn all of the bodies. Jesus is going to destroy His enemies and establish a kingdom. And you know how He does it? By a sword that comes out of His mouth. And I don't believe there's going to be a physical sword. You know what that's talking about? uh, Hebrews... 4.12, the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. When it says that there's this sharp sword that comes out of his mouth, you know what he's going to do? 
He's going to speak the Word. He's going to speak the words that you and I can read right here. I know this because when Jesus was tempted by the devil in Mark chapter, uh, in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, every time Satan came against him, he says, it is written. And you know, I wondered one time, I said, why did you quote scripture? You could have said boo and it would have been scripture because you were God. Why did you go back and quote an Old Testament scripture? And the Lord spoke to me, he says, because I couldn't improve on it. Even God Almighty couldn't think of anything better to be said than what is recorded right here in this Word. And when the Lord comes back, He's not going to come up with some new Scripture. He's just going to quote the Scriptures that you and I can read. And when He speaks them with zero doubt, 100% faith and authority, it's going to destroy enemies, so much so that the blood is four foot high for 120 miles. You've got that same Word. We've got the same power. The only thing is, it says in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2 that the word preached unto them did not profit them because it wasn't mixed with faith. If you don't speak the word in faith, then all you are is sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. But we've got the power of God. When Jesus speaks it, it's like the greatest weapon that has ever hit the face of the earth. And you know what? If we would speak it in faith, the same thing it would work. It would be enough to get your body healed It'd be enough to get your finances healed, to get your marriage healed, to do anything that you needed to do. We've got everything that God, that we need to succeed, just like those disciples had Jesus with them, but they didn't appreciate what they had. And we think, oh, I would have appreciated Jesus. If you don't appreciate the Word, we wouldn't appreciate Jesus. Brothers, we've got everything we need. We got more than what we need. More doubt and unbelief. More hardness of heart. More cares of this world. More things that are occupying our attention. And all these things harden us and make us insensitive to the Word. And he goes on to say that if you'd believe on me, and again, many applications, but... You can take that if you believe in this Word because Jesus is the Word made flesh and dwelt among us. If we would believe this Word and if we would really take the promises and the things said to us, then verily, verily, the works that I do shall you do also and greater works than these shall you do because I go unto my Father. We should be doing the same works that Jesus did. Not just preachers. All of us. All of us. It says, those who believe on me, the works that I do, shall you do also. This isn't just full-time workers. This isn't just Bible college students. If you're born again, you ought to be doing the same works that Jesus did. You know, I ministered in uh, Corpus Christi, Texas on that one time, and I wound up spending four days ministering on John 14, 12, and just talking about... God said, if you believe, verily, verily, if you believe, the works that I do will you do also. And I preached on that from Sunday through Wednesday and just taught on this over and over and over. And the pastor of that church, it really touched him. And he realized that he wasn't expecting, looking for the miraculous. He had accepted 
a second-rate Christian life. And he started praying about that on Wednesday. And when he came to the Sunday morning service, he preached on John 14, 12. And he, he confessed to the uh, church and says, you know what, I have been content with things the way that they are. But we need to see the miraculous. We need to see people heal. We need to start seeing things. And he was standing up just reinforcing and preaching on that if we believe on Him, we'll see the same works that Jesus did. And there was a man in the church service that stood up and grabbed his heart and fell over, had a heart attack. And there was a nurse that ran over there and got him and she checked him and she said, He's dead. And so they called 911 and the fire department was across the street and it took them 20 minutes to get there. He said he didn't know why it took so long. And this guy was dead, laying in the middle of his service. And so the pastor was just kind of, you know, the whole service was just stopped. And uh, he says, well, let's pray. He was just waiting on the emergency crew to come. And he started praying, and all of a sudden it dawned on him. He was preaching on the works that Jesus did. Would we do also? And he says, you know what? We're going to pray for this man. And we just, he went up and prayed for him, and the guy just sat up and stood up, and he was raised from the dead and sitting in a chair when the ambulance people came in. And they took him, and they took him to the hospital, checked him out. He was perfect. There wasn't a thing wrong with him. And the guy, he didn't want to go to the hospital. He says, I'm fine. He says, I'm just fine. But they made him go. And so when he got back to the church, he made the pastor pay for his taxi fare because he says, I didn't want to go. You made me go. <laughs> And the guy was raised from the dead by just them spending a few days thinking about, you know what, the works that Jesus did, shall we do also. Man, you need to go to expecting this kind of stuff. This is how you deal with crisis situations. This is how you deal with stuff. You've got to raise your expectations, raise the bar. You've got to be dissatisfied with being normal normal by man's standards and start being normal by God's standards. We've got to expect something differently. If you don't expect anything differently, you won't get anything different. You've got to expect something. We've got to recognize what we've got. And I'm telling you, if you've been born again, you've got what it takes. If you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues... Man, you got the supernatural power that moved upon the face of the waters and caused everything physical that we can see to be created. You got the almighty power of God living on the inside of you, and we're wondering whether we can believe for a headache or not. Man, we just need to stir ourselves up. I believe that that's one of the things that God's doing this weekend is just trying to every way He can to get to you to stir you up and let you realize that, man, you need to do something to fulfill God's destiny for your life. It's not going to happen without you. It's not going to happen accidentally or automatically. You're going to have to pursue it. You're going to have to stand up and be strong. Start seeking these things. But God wants to stir you up. Every one of you. Every one of you. If every one of us lived up to our full potential, we could change the world by the men that are right here in this room. I believe that. I believe that. If you would catch on fire, the world come watch you burn.
reason people aren't watching us is because you know what? You're just putting off smoke. <laughs> you need to catch on fire. And if we'll do that, I tell you what, the power of God's going to flow in your life. Y'all ready? Praise God. Father, we love you and we thank you for the truths, for these truths. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Jesus. Well, the Lord is speaking to me right now that there are some men in here that years ago, you stepped out and tried something and you got hurt. You failed. And because of it, you have backed off and you have really not done anything significant since then. And the Lord right now is just rekindling some of those desires. The Bible says that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. God has not changed. And you're thinking, but I failed. No problem. Moses failed. Lots of people failed. And yet they just got back up. The Lord is calling somebody who's let their dreams go because you experienced hardship and failure and you have let it go and you've been miserable in a spiritual sense ever since then. God is just rekindling this on the inside. There's probably many applications of that, but somebody here has been called to ministry and you let some situation stop you. The Lord is saying that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. He hasn't changed His mind regardless of what you've done. And you think, well, I'm unworthy. And the Lord says, good, you finally figured that out. Now you can trust in Him and just tell people about how good He is instead of promoting your own goodness. But man, the Lord is calling some of you back to things that you let go years and years ago. I believe that there's a number of people in here that God's speaking to right now. You know, if that's you, I'm going to minister to a lot of things. I think that the Holy Spirit is moving, but I want that you, if that's you, to just stand right where you are and by doing that say, that's me and I'm going back. I'm going to commit myself and I will receive it. I want you just to stand and that will be your act of obedience and I want to pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. And you know what? I may not be able to come by and talk to every one of you, but the Holy Spirit's moving through this room and He knows He's seeing what's going on in your heart. And if you really mean business, it's going to change your life. It's going to transform you. Father, I thank You for these men that have humbled themselves and have stood to say that for whatever reason, they have not continued and tried to fulfill what you reveal to them, that, Father, they, something happened and they just lost heart. And right now, we just stand up and we first of all say, Father, forgive us. Forgive us for being sidetracked. Forgive us for letting these things and people and circumstances and primarily ourselves condemn us. And, Father, we turn from that and we thank you that you forgive us. And now, Father, we receive your supernatural anointing and power coming in and cleansing us of all of this sense of shame and failure, the hurt, the pain. We just let the supernatural anointing of Jesus flow right now. Thank you, Jesus. The Holy Spirit is moving through this room and touching hearts right now. 
Praise God, I can see that. I can see the Holy Spirit changing people's hearts right now. Some of you, it's been decades and your heart has become so hard and it's instantly being changed. Instantly being changed. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we receive this. Thank you for the Holy Spirit healing people's hearts and putting hope back within. And I hear the Lord saying out of 1 Timothy where He says that God counted me faithful putting me into the ministry. God has faith in you. You can't do it on your own, but God loves you, He's chose you, and God believes that you are going to fulfill this. God is believing in you. Who are you to doubt yourself? You need to humble yourself and cooperate with God. Here's the anointing of God, and I believe that God right now is just showing His pleasure, and God is healing you and setting you free right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Father, we agree and we receive it. And I thank you that, Father, we will not walk away from this to the right or to the left. Father, show us what we need to do so that when we go home, we make the necessary changes so that we just don't go back to being the way that we were. Father, I thank you that whatever it takes, that there are going to be changes and that we will not be the same and that we will fulfill what you have called us to do. Thank you, Jesus. We agree and receive that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Awesome. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. You know, I don't know exactly how this fits, except I just heard the Lord say that there's some of you that in your marriage, in your family, you have not been the husband that you're supposed to be. None of us are perfect, but I mean some of you have blown it. Some of you have done things wrong. I mean, not just the average, you aren't as good as you would like to be, but you've just really blown it. And, uh, and the Lord is just saying that He, right now, is quickening you to be able to just step up and be the man that you need to be so that you can go home and say, I'm sorry. And you know what? Here's a word of wisdom. That you don't just... Because you change your heart, and because you change your attitude and you go home and say, I'm sorry. You know what? Your heart may be changed, but the, but the other people in your family don't know that your heart is changed and you've got to prove it. And you can't demand that all of a sudden everything just be put back to normal. If you truly repent, then you, you, you should be willing to prove it. And if it takes a year, if it takes five years, if whatever, you're just willing to go back and be the man that you're supposed to be. And I feel like the Lord was speaking to me that there's some of you in here that have really messed up. And, that's, and the Lord was already speaking to you about that. That's the Holy Spirit making an application of what I'm talking about. And you're saying, I'm going to go back and I'm going to be a different man. I'm going to be different to my family. You know, if that's you, I want you to stand and I'm just going to lead you in a prayer and you need to make a commitment and then when you go home, fulfill it and do it. Anybody else? Again, all of us are not what we're supposed to be, but I'm talking about people that God was dealing with, and you know that this is you, and you're making a commitment. The Scripture says, and I believe it's uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, it says that God is faithful to keep that which we commit. 
No committing, no keeping. You got to make a commitment. It can't just be a hearer of the word, but you need to commit. And this is a very minimal thing I'm asking you to do, just to stand in front of people, but you're doing something. It's faith without works is dead. If you are receiving this, then it needs to be more than just a mental decision. There needs to be some action to it. So if this is you, you need to stand right now. I feel like the Lord just spoke to me that somebody here is saying, well, I'm going to receive this, but I don't want to stand. I don't want anybody to know that this is the way I am. I'm going to specifically pray this won't work if you're seated. You're going to have to humble yourself. You're going to have to stand and admit that, you know what, I've made a mistake in this area. See, there was a few of you out there trying to bootleg this prayer. Praise God. (laughs) Father, we thank you for your love for us, and I thank you for these men. And We just thank you that tonight, Father, whatever it is that you're dealing with them about, Whatever area that they have failed in, whether it's an area of omission, something that they should have been doing and just failed to do it, or something that they've done that is wrong and hurtful and damaging, Father, we repent of it. And we believe that, Father, you are faithful and just to cleanse of all unrighteousness. We believe that their heart, Father, has been purified and that they are no longer under guilt and condemnation. And I pray that you would show them the appropriate thing to do when they go home, how to earn the love of their family, how to treat them with honor and respect. And Father, we just thank you that by them standing and acknowledging this, that Father, there's a change taking place in their heart and that they are not going to be the same. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree And we receive that. And we stand on that scripture that that which we commit, you're faithful and just to keep what we commit. And so we've made a commitment, Father, to love our wife, to love our children, to honor our family. And we believe that you hold us to it. That, Father, you remind them when they get home. When they begin to fall back into the same patterns of speaking or acting that, Father, you show them so that they can put the other members of their family first. And, Father, we agree and we receive that and thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, again, I believe that there's people here that need to be healed tonight. If you need a healing in your body, I want you to stand right where you are and we're praying for you and we're going to believe God for a miracle to take place. Praise God. You already got it. You know, here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to lead us in prayer, but I'd like to ask those of you who are seated to look around you and see the people that are standing right now. And then I'd like you to just get up and lay hands on them, and I'll lead in prayer, but I want you to release the power and the anointing of God. And also let God use you. If the Lord shows you something to speak to Him, that's fine to go ahead and speak. But let's pray one for another. The scripture says pray one for another that you may be healed. And so let's pray one for another. And I'll dismiss the service with this. 
But as we pray and then you release this, we're going to believe God for healing to flow into every one of these right now in the name of Jesus. Father, we just thank you that by your stripes we were healed. That it has already been done and that you placed this raising from the dead power on the inside of us. And so, Father, we exercise it right now. You said if we pray one for another that the prayer of faith would save the sick. And Father, we believe that you've already released healing. That it's in us, so now we release it. And we speak to sickness, to disease, to deafness. I command deafness to be gone in the name of the Lord Jesus. Command heart problems to be gone. Command viruses and infirmities, infections to be gone in the name of the Lord Jesus. Bodies, you be healed. Satan, we break your power and we loose the supernatural anointing of God to flow through our bodies right now. Command that flesh to receive the healing power of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Right here is the anointing of God flowing through you. Here's people being healed. Here's ringing in someone's ears being healed. Right now, it's just over. Stop. Gone. Arthritis has, has left a number of people right now. It's done. You act on it. Move around. Command your body to respond. People whose knees haven't worked, whose hips haven't worked, here's the healing power of God. Somebody's bowels are being healed right now. You've had an irritable bowel syndrome. Here's the healing power of God flowing through you. Sugar diabetes is being healed in the name of the Lord Jesus. Pancreas are coming alive and producing insulin. High blood pressure is being healed right now. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody has had throbbing headaches. Over. Not only right now, but over forever. Gone. Whatever the root of that is, is healed now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There's a man here praying for his wife. Your wife is the one that's really in need and you stood praying for her. Here's the healing power of Jesus right now going towards her. There's anointing flowing into her body right now. And I believe that right now, wherever she is, regardless of how distant she is, that here is the anointing of God touching that body and she's being healed. There's a man in here that you and your wife have been trying to believe for kids. To have kids. And here's the anointing of God flowing through you right now into that home. And praise God, your wife is going to be able to conceive and have children. Father, we agree and we receive right now and thank you for setting them free. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Allergies are being healed right now. That's over with. Stomach problems. Somebody here has got a terrible acid reflux type of thing. Heartburn is being healed right now. The Lord's healing you in Jesus' name. Somebody injured themselves on a job and you've had problems from that. Here's the healing power of God flowing through you right now and healing your body. You begin to move around. Do what you didn't feel like doing. And there's the anointing of God flowing through you. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Father, we just receive these things. Thank you that 
The power of the Lord is present to heal. Thank you that you are touching people's lives, changing our hearts. Thank you that people that have had trouble sleeping are going to sleep supernaturally tonight. Father, thank you that we have supernatural rest, that you give your beloved sleep. Father, we receive it, and we thank you for it, Father. We praise you, and we believe that every single person is healed, that you heal them all. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You know, let me also say that I believe some of those words of knowledge were for the people that are watching over the Internet. I believe that some of you, if you've had any of those things that I was calling out, I believe that that's God ministering to you, and I believe that God has healed people all over the world tonight. So if you got healed, let us know. Amen. Call in and let somebody know about what God did. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Hug somebody. Tell them how much you love them. I'm going to try and...